Hi everyone, welcome to the 15th episode of By the Drip. This podcast is about coffee, entrepreneurship, and the people we meet through the amazing story of coffee. I'm your host, David Crosby, founder and CEO of Rosso Coffee Roasters. This week's episode is an AMA, so an Ask Me Anything with myself. About a week or so ago, I reached out on Instagram for questions to answer on the podcast. It was fun, unique, and a little nerve-wracking. I hope you learn a thing or two and let me know if we should keep doing this. Thanks to everyone for sending in their questions. So I've kind of sorted all the questions into five general categories. So we had coffee, entrepreneurship, the stock market, running a coffee business, and personal. So why don't we dive into it? We'll start off with coffee. Okay, nice uh, softball question here. How much coffee do I drink a day? So this actually changed quite a bit over the years. I'd say at my worst, I was probably doing six cups a day. Right now, I'm doing about two, two and a half. I have one (laughs) immediately when I get up in the morning. And that brew is usually something nice and high end. And then the second coffee I have around, I guess, 10 a.m. So this coffee is usually coffee on our menu. And I'm checking it more on a QC side to see if it's tasting sweet, balanced, the roast could use any work. Or I'm trying a different roaster than Rosso. And this gives me just kind of a reality check on what other people are doing and uh, just giving me a little bit of a look into how the roast quality is, the green quality, and ultimately if it's a tasty cup of coffee. All right, next question. How do I drink my coffee? So 90% of the time I'm drinking coffee black. So a drip coffee, adding no cream or sugar. That's how most of the time I drink my coffee is I brew a V60 or a Kalita Wave. My recipe usually is 20 grams in, about 320 grams of water going through for a brew time of a two, two and a half minutes. And that leads to a little more acidity, looking for balance and sweetness. The odd time I will add cream or sugar. And the reason being is when I'm at wholesale clients or at one of our cafes, I want to experience the coffee as close as I can to how customers are drinking it. So the odd time I'll add a touch of cream, see how the coffee's standing up, especially with acidic coffees, it's not always the greatest match. So it's important to double check that. And then espresso based drinks, I'm usually just drinking straight espresso, which uh, I would have maybe once, maybe twice a week in cappuccinos or other milk based beverages. I probably, honestly, I probably have it once a month, maybe even less. Brista competitions, we drink just a ton of milk-based beverages. So I get my fix usually within those couple of months. And uh, that's, that's more than enough for the year. Doesn't mean you can't be enjoying your lattes, cappuccinos, mochas, and other things. Just uh, can't drink as much as I used to. Okay, next question is a good one. Favorite moment from a coffee sourcing trip? And a bunch of people ask this in multiple ways. And I have two actually. They might be a bit long-winded here. The very first one was in 2015, and this was Cole, Jesse, and I's first time 
traveling to a coffee origin country. We went to Costa Rica and Guatemala. And I remember visiting our very first farm and uh, walking into the farm. We all had massive grins on our, on our face and we were so excited to finally be at a farm and see processing and picking of cherries and everything else that goes on at a farm in person for the very first time. And I remember picking my very first uh, coffee cherry and biting into it and just the explosion of flavor and kind of this amazing feeling and unlock of, wow, we're, we're finally, you know, here at a farm where all this hard work is done and this amazing beverage we brew every day in the cafes, you know, I get, I get to taste it and feel it and smell. It was, it was an amazing moment and something that I wish, you know, every coffee professional through their journey into coffee gets to visit a, a coffee farm and see, you know, all the hard work that goes on, the amazing stories and, and also the visual and, and the learning that you get to unlock through, through being on the farm. One thing that, that we realized is you can watch or have people explain what coffee processing is and, you know, wash coffee versus a natural, but until you physically see it in person, it doesn't quite click, doesn't quite hit home. And uh, yeah, that, that trip, you know, we'd been at that point, we'd been in the coffee industry seven years or myself, I'd been in the coffee seven years and uh, it, it, it was a magical moment just touching down and, and visiting like in Costa Rica, we probably visited, I don't know, 65 different farms over the week and just meeting all these amazing producers, seeing all different styles of coffee, tasting, you know, everything from the most amazing geisha all the way down to, you know, commercial grade coffee and, and everything across that spectrum was just a really meaningful moment. And that will forever be ingrained in my mind. Flying into Rwanda for the first time in 2017 is also an outstanding memory for myself. So first I have to say is Rwanda is an amazing country. We have two interesting reactions when we tell people we're going to Rwanda. The first reaction is usually from older people and they ask us if it's still safe to go to Rwanda. And unfortunately, all they really know about the country is the 1994 genocide, when it was at least 800,000 people were killed in about 100 days. And obviously this is a very painful past for the country, but Rwanda has become one of the safest countries we've ever visited and the people are just amazing. The second reaction is from younger people who just say, wow, that sounds amazing. Anyways, so we fly into Rwanda and we're heading right into a cupping with brothers Gaudam and Karthik who owned Maraho Coffee in Rwanda. And as we're driving, we're noticing there isn't another car on the road and everyone is in the streets like cleaning. And so we asked Karthik, where, you know, where are all the cars in traffic and why on earth is everyone in the streets cleaning? And there's an event and it's named, and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher this, Uganda Umaganda, which is a community cleanup held on the last Saturday of each month. And it translates as coming together in common purpose. It was institutionalized in 2009 and it is a compulsory action for all people aged 18 to 65. And Kigali is the capital of Rwanda and is it a beautiful and it's a super safe city. So seeing the community come together was absolutely amazing. And it was just like a touching moment for us. And I think I'll never forget it. All right. What is the best cup of coffee I've ever had? Oh man. Uh, that's, that's pretty difficult to decide. That's like picking your favorite kid or your favorite parent. 
Actually, that one might be easy. Or sibling. That might be easy too. I can think of a few drinks we've made for barista competitions that have really stood out in my mind. So in 2018, Cole won the Canadian Barista Championship and we got to go to Amsterdam, which was a lot of fun. He finished fifth in the world that year. Used a varietal called Cidra and he blended it with Geisha. And it was super interesting and very difficult to dial because we changed the ratios, how much coffee went in to each shot of espresso each day. And I remember on the final day, I think we used 18 grams of geisha and six grams of cedra. And it's probably one of the best espresso shots I've ever had. It had amazing tactile, thanks to the cedra, which is known for a little bit of a heavier body. And then just beautiful kind of floral and slight fruit notes from the geisha. It was just outstanding. And it was really exciting for Cole to be able to present that to the judges on, uh, on the final day. Second little story in here would be in Boston 2019. So we needed to source milk for the competition. And I reached out to probably 15 dairy farms in and around Boston. We were willing to drive up to three hours each way to get some outstanding milk. So I reached out to a bunch, only two got back to me and I had asked them if they could source the milk from one single cow and just set it aside. And the reason being is we wanted to have a little bit of storytelling in the presentation that the milk was from one cow, help fix a little bit of the variables. Anyways, that didn't end up happening. Cole didn't have enough time. He talks too much to, to tell that part of the story. But anyways, we drove two and a half hours out to this farm in the beautiful countryside and it was a foggy day. We went to the farm they had just a shed off to the side where they stored all their milk and butter and other various things. And it was just walk in, leave your money on the counter and pick up whatever you ordered. So we walked in, I think we left, you know, $40 and picked up eight liters of milk, drove back to Boston. We had a little sip on the way back and that milk was unbelievable. It was super thick and creamy and was like drinking ice cream. So we get back Next day, we're starting to make some cappuccinos that we're dialing in for the judges. And it's, it's probably the best milk drink I've ever had. It was sweet, heavy body, just outstanding. The espresso was able to cut through the milk and it was all in balanced. Yeah, that's got to be one of my... I think the story behind it makes it taste a little bit better, but one of, one of the most outstanding cappuccinos I've ever had in my life. Cole was able to make it to the final round you know, he served those beverages to the judges. They scored really well. He was able to finish third in the world in 2019. And uh, I think that milk helped just a tad in that result. Okay, keeping in line with barista competitions, someone wrote in, what's a fun memory at the World Barista Championship? So for me, it would be the lead up to Amsterdam in 2018. So Cole had won in, I believe it was Toronto. And two weeks later was the WBC. And that was a very short window of time to turn around a world's presentation. And so essentially both Cole and I quit our full-time jobs and just practice, I think, 12 to 14 hours a day on a speech, tasting the coffee, you know, sourcing pieces of equipment and various other things. And it was exciting because it was the first time he was going to Worlds. And it was also nerve wracking because it was the first time he was going to Worlds and we weren't sure 
what to expect. We reached out to literally everyone we knew and tons of people, you know, came in over those two weeks and helped watch sets and run throughs. They tasted the coffee that, you know, provided advice. It was, um, it was an amazing, I guess, moment for the community to come together and rally around what Cole was doing and also having that such a tight timeline. Get to Amsterdam, day one, Cole competes. And he's been, he's been competing, you know, I guess 10 years at this point, and I've never really seen him nervous. And he gets out on stage first time at WBC. It's the big stage. You know, there's seating for whatever, a thousand people. And I can hear in his voice nervousness. And I'm just going, oh shit. You know, we're at the big time here. Does his presentation. Uh, it goes, you know, fairly well. There's a few little miscues. And what happens is then about 65 can people compete. And then it gets narrowed down to 16. And they start going through one through 10 and he's not in the top 10 and he comes 12th, which is, you know, a bit of a disappointing result, but he makes it through to semifinals. So that's all that matters. And Cole didn't tell me that on day one, his shots of espresso had actually run quite long. So he was trying to hit, let's say 20 seconds and they came out at 24 seconds. So the coffee wasn't pulling very well. It obviously reflected in the scores. So on day two, uh, we were refreshed and motivated. Cole went out, no nervousness, did an amazing job, presented. The coffee tasted outstanding. I think he was third after semis. So he means the top six go on to the finals. So he was able to go on to the finals. And they're doing the announcements. And we're in Amsterdam, so there's zero Canadian contingency there. So it's myself, Jesse, our dad came, and a, a few other you know Canadians were among the crowd. And... They're announcing, you know, the first person to go on to the finals, the second person. And I think Cole was announced, uh, you know, fourth or whatever. And I remember getting up and I screamed and I screamed right into this dude's ear so incredibly loud. And we just went crazy. Yeah, just one of those, one of those memories that him getting into the finals was, you know, an outstanding job by him. And then obviously the last day, it's, it's all gravy. You're just excited to be there, especially the first time going. You know, did a really great set, added a few little things. Fortunately or unfortunately, coffee didn't taste as good as it could have, but old Cole was, you know, able to come fifth in the world, which is an amazing result, especially, you know, the two-week term, turn time from nationals to worlds. Re, we changed the whole presentation. We changed the coffee. It was, it was a pretty crazy time. Um, we were absolutely exhausted, and the result was amazing. So super proud of the big guy, and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Okay, we're gonna switch gears here. A few questions about entrepreneurship. First one is, what revs you up? What keeps you motivated to push forward personally and as a business owner? For this, I'd say one of our core values at Rosso is continuous improvement. And for me personally and for the business, I think this is like a cornerstone of our business. We're constantly looking to make small, like 1% changes all over the business. And that individually, they don't have a large impact, but collectively they do. I can think of a few different systems we've implemented to uh, push our quality to another level that uh, a lot of roasters uh, just can't compete on. It's like small but tactical things. So a good example would be, you know, first it was when we started roasting coffee, it was weighing the coffee down to the gram pre and post roast. So then we could see our mass loss and see how consistent we were. 
And then next it was implementing tracking software that would track every individual roast. Then it was putting in new probes that allowed us to track even more data. And then we got an instrument called the color track that after each batch is roasted, we grind coffee, we put it into the color track that gives us that uses lasers and technology to give us a number associated with the color of roast because the color of brown is the hardest color for the human eye to determine a difference in. So we implemented the color track and, you know, the next neat piece of technology is we have sawdust sorters, which is using similar technology. It's taking photographs of each single bean and if the color of the bean is outside the color specs we want, it actually feeds through and it spits it out into a rejected bin. And we're the only coffee con uh, company in North America that is using technology both on the green side and then the roasted side. So it's super exciting. It's you know a long-winded way of saying these small changes, some are big, but small changes, 1%, constantly improving, really has a big impact on on what we're doing, you know, not here and now, but in three, six, 12 to five years down the road. Think in our business, it's incredibly important to also use system thinking. So building a system around how we are going to brew coffee, a system around how we're going to order coffee, a system around how we go and buy green coffee. I think all those things for me are unique challenges. And as the business grows, Obviously, those systems break down and you have to create new ones. And that part of the business can be very frustrating, but also really rewarding. We've seen our wholesale and grocery division expand quite dramatically through COVID. And obviously, our logistics team has had to deal with uh, changing demand over the course of COVID. So uh, those systems break. We have to rebuild them, change them, and have to be malleable. And, and that kind of system thinking is really important uh, for all, you know, all coffee professionals to be thinking about. Okay, just looking at the next question. What is a piece of advice you would give your younger self? I would say patience and ask for help. So on the patient side, I was always looking for the next thing or growing the business and not taking enough time to creating those systems. And this is at the very start of Rosso, but building those building blocks for the business to sit upon, and it is those systems. I thought being uh, overly busy and chaos and not organized meant that things were, uh, were getting done. And unfortunately, that is not the case. Things take time to develop, and especially when you're a young entrepreneur. And what the media portrays is hyper growth, you know, revenue growth or client growth at all costs. And I didn't create those systems I was kind of just talking about at the beginning, I was uh, running around with my head cut off, trying to seem busy. I had these preconceived notions that I needed to be always growing the business, always being the expert on everything in the business. And I thought chaos and disorganization and various other things meant that we were so busy that we were, you know, we were a startup and that, that's just what you did. Definitely when I was younger, I had the idea that I needed the answer for everything. I had to be the expert. I didn't take enough time. I personally felt if I didn't have the answer that I was a bad you know, business person. I was a bad entrepreneur. 
I would fight through with that type of mindset. Unfortunately, you're trying to silo yourself and, and I felt like I needed to figure out everything on my own. And if I was asking for help, I was failing at my job being an entrepreneur. And I've realized, I don't know when, but that asking for help is okay. The showing, you know, vulnerability is okay. And then if someone can take you from, you know, point A to point B through their expertise, and you don't have to go through those hurdles and those, you know, valleys of despair and those late nights trying to figure out, you know, what is right and what is not. And there's someone out there that, you know, can bring A to B in a week or a day or six months that you should ask them for help. Entrepreneurs want to help other entrepreneurs. It is incredibly lonely and it's in an incredibly difficult position to be in. And it's only through reaching out to others that you can kind of get off that island. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay not to have the answers and reaching out and you know building kind of a network around yourself. That network can be super simple things like reading books, listening to podcasts, it can be meeting with other entrepreneurs, you know, once a month or once a quarter, or just sending a cold email to someone on LinkedIn or something like that and reaching out to the community because again, it's so lonely and not a lot of people understand what you're going through. And I can't, you know, I can't raise it enough. Entrepreneurs want to help out their entrepreneurs. So if you're a coffee, you know, you got a coffee business out there and you're not, it's not going well, or you're not sure about something, you know, re reach out to, you can reach out to me, or there's lots of other people that are, you know, they might not have the answers, but at least getting it off your chest can really help and, and bring light to those, you know, those difficult questions. If you have a coffee business or coffee shop, and you're going through a tough time, or if, if things are going great, it's just can't stress enough how important it is to, you know, bounce ideas off others, you know, what they've gone through, especially through COVID. It's just, it's super helpful. All right. All right. Next question. I want to start a coffee shop. What should I do? So I kind of thought about this. I broke it into kind of four steps. So you could go online. I think you could look up a ton of stuff on how to start a coffee shop through Google. There's probably a litany of different ways to chop it up. Mine, I would say step one, work at a coffee shop. You need to understand the business you're getting into. You need to understand the clientele. You need to understand, do you even enjoy making coffee day in and day out? I think that's really key. We've had quite a few wholesale clients work as a barista and then quickly realize that they love coffee shops, but they don't want to own a coffee shop. So I think that's really important. Like step two, you need to understand the finances of running your own shop. What does that mean? You need to understand how much you can spend on labor. You need to understand what your cost of goods should be. You need to understand how much rent you can pay and all those things factor in. Third, location. Your location has a massive impact on the finances of the coffee shop. You can pay more in rent if you're going to see more foot traffic through the door. You can pay less rent and, and expect less. Location is very, very important in retail. Our first location that we opened at Rosso was in a very difficult location and it had a large impact on profitability. How many people came through the door a day took longer to grow the business because we were in a much slower location. The fourth thing, and probably the final thing 
just the quick off the top of my head is the brand and quality. So it's really important. I would highly recommend having an outside company do your branding, where you're going to position your, yourself in the market. What quality level are you going to hit? Are you going to try to be the best of the best? Are you going to focus on medium and dark roast coffee? Are you looking to create an experience? All those things are going to factor in not only your brand facing to the clients, but also the quality you're going to drive. Are you going to be a place that's all about volume and quality is kind of secondary or, or, or even less? So those are the four you know, quick things off the top of my head, how to start a coffee shop. I would recommend, there's a great book by Colin Harmon. I think it's called How to Run a Coffee Shop. And he outlines a bunch of things in there. And that's probably the best book that you could read if you're thinking of even starting a coffee shop. It is uh, incredibly rewarding, but is also incredibly difficult business to make money at. Uh, most coffee shops in what I've seen don't make money. It's a tough business. Okay, we're gonna totally switch what we're talking about and we're gonna go to the stock market. So the first question was greatest investor of all time. So let's talk about greatest investor of all time. What does that actually mean? I'd say superior returns compared to the market over an extended period of time. So 10, 15 years, maybe one of the most important parts is a great investor is consistency. Probably first on the list is Warren Buffett. So I just looked it up, his record, it's about 23% annually for the last 54 years. A lot of people have Warren as number one. He's the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. He's 90 years old. Each year, he writes an amazing letter to shareholders. He's a wealth of knowledge, obviously. Yeah, probably the GOAT. It's not an exciting answer, but he's probably the GOAT. Maybe a weird off-the-cuff one for me. It's one of the very first investing books I ever read. It was One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. He might be my number two. His record was 29.2% uh, annually for 13 years. He grew... $20 million to over $14 billion, and he beat the S&P 500 in 11 of 13 years. His book, super interesting. His big thing is invest in what you know and love, which is uh, easy to follow or maybe harder to execute. I'm not quite sure. Some would argue that Jim Simmons is the greatest investor of all time. His compounded annual growth rate of return was 71.80% over a 20-year period from 1992, excuse me, 1994 to 2014, which is unbelievable. His hedge fund was known to use quantitative investing, so using mathematical models and algorithms to make massive investment gains from market inefficiencies. He might be the greatest of all time. I'm not quite sure. Send your remarks in. Unfortunately, he was in one of the biggest tax battles in IRS history in the United States. I guess in September 2021, he would have to pay, I guess, billions in back taxes, interest and penalties. And some, some see that as an issue and maybe takes him out of the top rank. Either way, amazing investor and uh, has a super unique story. Okay. This person asks, what do I think is going to happen with interest rates and what are the effects of inflation? Great question. So let's talk about inflation. Inflation silently erodes the wealth of those saving in dollars. 
So I was just looking. Inflation was officially reported at 7.9% in the United States, which is the highest the inflation rate has been in the United States in the last 40 years. And a good way to kind of frame this is you can think of your tank of gas and it's costing about 38% more to fill up your tank of gas than it was, say, six months ago. Then if you start to compound about 45% of Americans own no investable assets. So that's what this really means is they're living paycheck to paycheck and have all of their savings in cash. On top of that, you had the government printing trillions of dollars. Uh, they moved the interest rates down to you know ultra lows, 0%. And then on top of that, they were buying assets and all this. So this is kind of a almost natural outcome of all these activities combined together. So what happens? The Federal Reserve, they have a decision to make to slowly raise interest rates. And what that does, or if they raise them aggressively to kind of tame inflation, they risk spiraling into a recession. So we have one of two choices. We either have inflation, where things are costing significantly more, or we have a recession where interest rates are higher, inflation's tamed, but the cost... We also have the government that owns heavy amounts of debt. And if interest rates are low, they can pay that debt back at a much cheaper rate than if interest rates go up. So that leading to, I know where this person wants me to go. And as there is an asset that you can't just print more of, that's considered hard money. And some would speculate or argue that that asset class or asset itself is Bitcoin. I'm not going to riff on that right now. We'll save that for another chat. Hope this answers your question. All right, personal. A couple questions came in here. So first one, what does rest look like for me? So I'd break this down to kind of three categories. The first one, uh, physical activity. That is so important for myself. Uh, Staying active. Simple things from walking the dog, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, all the way to doing, you know, long rowing sessions or bike sessions super important to keep physically strong. And uh, second one, proper nutrition, eating correctly, not eating too late, keeping, I focus on my macros. So that means I log everything that I eat. It's a little tedious, but physically I feel way better and also mentally have more mental clarity. The third one is mindfulness. For me, that's taking time to meditate and it's simple as five or 10 minutes a day. And uh, reading is a big one every night uh, before bed, I read. And those three activities for me help me really rest and come back charged into work and excited. Okay, this one's a bit of a fun question. What do I like more, CrossFit, UFC, or rap music? Uh, A dirty confession of mine is I love all three of those things, but I hate telling anyone about them. CrossFit, obviously, I just kind of talked about being healthy. Fitness is a big part of staying active is incredibly important. Uh, Staying in shape for work gives me time to take my mind off while you're doing a CrossFit workout or or really any any activity. Physical activity helps me just recharge and come in with a fresh mind. I find I, I hate all the sayings through CrossFit you know, the box, wad, all those things. Uh, But what's really great about it is I had never done Olympic lifting before. 
so it adds that element into the sandbox and then also there's a heavy cardio component which i just hate but it's good to focus on the things that are weaknesses ufc people uh people usually cringe when i say i enjoy ufc i find mma extremely entertaining it's an amazing sport uh, because you can have two fighters you know have this um, amazing match and go to war and beat each other up for 15 or 25 minutes and at the very end hug show respect um, they share something you know in the octagon or ring or wherever it's also extremely exciting you can have someone winning a match for 14 and a half minutes and in the last few seconds uh, the other person can come back and win and that can't really happen in any other sports someone can't be up you know 50 to nothing in football and then in the last two minutes, well, technically in the last two minutes, come back and win 52-50. It always makes the fights exciting. Yes, it can be a bit gruesome and gory, but uh, most of the time it's about martial arts and amazing people coming together and respecting each other for those matches. Last one is rap music. I absolutely love rap music. It's my favorite type of music. Love me some, you know, Dr. Dre, Easy e you know, Kanye West. Yeah, I love rap. I don't listen to it as much as I used to. A lot of my free time in the car, I actually listen to podcasts now. So my rap consumption has gone down quite significantly. But uh, definitely, you know, some Jay-Z and uh, Kanye together while working out, lifting some heavy weights while watching UFC is the trifecta. <laughs> okay, we got the last question here. Quite a few people asked, actually asked, uh, how can they help the podcast? And the biggest thing people can do is actually just forward or pass this on to other people that are interested in learning either about coffee, entrepreneurship. Uh, we're just trying to expand our listener base. Everyone who, you know, pushes play and listens, that helps me, you know, make sure that I'm getting more guests on, I can get better guests on and uh, keep the train going here. So that's uh, that's the most important thing. Just keep listening. That's the last of our questions. So that's our first AMA done. You made it to the end. Thank you. If you enjoyed it, please shoot me a message on Instagram or an email. We'll be back soon. Thanks, everyone.